beloved, hidden in the shadows of history are the names of right-hand men. Men that were second, men that were behind, men that were hidden, uh, but were providing air cover for others whose names are etched in history, not hidden in the the, uh, shadows. They provide the air cover, the support, often the influence, sometimes the wisdom for the main guy, the tip of the spear, El Jefe. In fact, often the true power and influence when you dig deep falls not with the person who is up front, but lies in the kingmaker that's behind the curtain. One very powerful example of this is Charlemagne. Charlemagne is the one whose name is etched in the channels of history. Very possibly maybe after Alexander the Great, one of the most influential men in history. In the year 8072, 772, excuse me, when Charlemagne was 30 years old, he launched a campaign to expand his territory in what we would now call uh, modern Europe, Western Europe, and to bring order to Europe. By AD 800, he was the undisputed ruler of Western Europe. His vast realm encompassed what is now France, Switzerland, Belgium, and the Netherlands. On Christmas Day in 800, Pope Leo III placed a golden crown upon Charlemagne's head and crowned him Imperator Augustus, the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, He is regarded by most historians as the founding father of both France and Germany. He paved the way for much of what is now modern Europe and is called the father of Europe. And the interesting point is that there is a man whose name is not well known, a man who is hidden in the shadows, a man named Roland, Count Roland. Many historians think Roland deserves at least equal credit for the success and the progress and what took place during that time. He was a military leader under Charlemagne. He became one of the principal figures of one of the literary cycles called the Matter of France. And two or three centuries after Roland's death, a poem was written called The Song of Roland. And it's a tale of his death. The Song of Roland describes the classic battle between good and evil. And it's summarized by Roland's dying in the song and in a gesture as Roland raises his hand towards the heavens in gesture of his undying allegiance to the Lord and to in heaven and to his liege Lord here on earth. Roland in the song dies a true knight and is carried to paradise. The interesting thing is the code of chivalry for the knights that permeated must have much of Western Europe, came from this song. And it's described as follows in the song. The knight is to protect the weak and defenseless, to live by honor and glory, to despise monetary award, to fight for the welfare of all, to obey those in authority, to guard the honor of fellow knights, to fear God and maintain his church, to serve his liege lord in valor and faith, to speak the truth at all times, to persevere to the end, to respect and honor women, and lastly, never to refuse a challenge from an equal. Now, as we read that, we realize much of those, many of those have the kernel of tremendous biblical truth even found in Scripture. 
Beloved, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we had a wonderful Christmas message, well, the message not so much, a wonderful text, wonderful Christmas service, I should say, last, last Sunday. What we're going to do this Sunday, this Lord's Day, is go back to Ephesians. And we are nearing the end of our expositional journey, verse by verse, passage by passage through this letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. This is our second to last sermon. Our text this morning are verses 21 and 22, but go ahead and listen as I read verses 21 through 24, the concluding section of this mighty letter from the Apostle Paul. This is the word of God, Ephesians 6 and verse 21. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make everything known to you. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Beloved, this is the word of God that has been read in your hearing. Please attend to it with your hearts, with your imagination, with your minds, with your hands and feet as such. You're familiar, I would imagine, with the three musketeers, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis. They basically live by the model one for all and all for one. Even their young protege d'Artagnan was part of that. Well, beloved, in something of the same way, the Apostle Paul understood, more importantly than historical, semi-legendary examples such as that, Paul rarely ministered alone. When we look at the accounts of his ministry and his life, there's only one occasion that I'm aware of where we see Paul alone for a brief time in Athens in Acts 17. Other than that, Paul always had companions with him. Paul understood the importance that there is strength and safety in the multiplication of counsel, in fellowship, in the part of being a team. He understood in some sense something that came some hundreds and hundreds and even a millennia later in the German principle of Gestalt, which basically says it, Gestalt describes a group that is so unified as a whole that its properties, its effects, its power, its influence can't be derived from a simple summation of its constituent constituent parts. Uh, putting it simply, in that case, one plus one plus one doesn't equal three. One plus one plus one equals six. That is the idea, and that is part of the dynamic that we even see in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul understood well that there are no lone wolves in Christianity. No Christian man, no Christian woman is an island. We are part of the body of Christ. We are part of a family. We are each individually one stone in the temple. We are part of a community. We are part of a team. And even this dynamic also didn't begin with Christ and the apostles. In the Old Testament, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 of this dynamic when Solomon wrote that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, Solomon continues, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who's alone, two can resist him. 
And then he finishes with this physical illustration. A cord of three strands isn't quickly torn apart. Uh, The hidden message there that's not so hidden is that one cord can be quickly torn apart. But what we see here when we look back in Ephesians 6, 21 and 22 is the Apostle Paul is commending a faithful man that is hidden in the shadows of history, save for Paul mentioning him here, a man named Tychicus. And who is this man Tychicus? What are his credentials? Why would the Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter, have this one personal reference? When we look at Paul's letters, we know that Paul loves to get personal. And at the end of his letters, he'll extend many greetings uh, from people that are with him and extend greetings to people, to brothers and sisters to whom he's writing. Uh, The book of Ephesians is someplace where Paul gets less personal. There's a much greater emphasis through this wonderful letter on the great doctrines of the gospel of peace and of salvation with a focus on God. So why does Paul mention this one person, this one sole figure, Tychicus? What are his credentials? Now, what's interesting, when we look at the Bible, we see that Tychicus appears five times. He appears in Acts 20, in, here in Ephesians 6, Colossians 4, Titus 3, and 2 Timothy 4. And when we look at Tychicus and the account, there's almost nothing said about what he did. The vast majority that we can learn about God's work in the life of Tychicus is his character. His character is his reputation. Tychicus was not widely known, but he's known by Paul with an earned reputation. With an earned reputation of a time-tested character. Namely, his character is marked by fidelity, humility, and integrity. And Even as we would understand this and apply it to ourselves, we understand that even as Christians, even as new creatures in Christ Jesus, it's very easy for us to measure our success kind of by our resume virtues, by the bullet list of what we've done. But when we look at what God tells us in Scripture, we should understand that the measure is not our accolades. Beloved, the measure, the measure of your standing and your life and your ministry before God is your fidelity, your humility, and your integrity. It is a life lived in the Lord and a life lived for the Lord. And when we look at this kind of buried figure, at what God does tell us in his scripture, Tychicus is a massively stellar, powerful example, par excellence for us to emulate. Beloved, first, we will see that Tychicus is a man marked by fidelity, by faithfulness. Semper Fi, he is the original Marine, we could say. His name is Tychicus. Now, you see the word there, Tychicus. It's interesting. John MacArthur, James Montgomery Boyce, Alistair Begg all pronounce his name Tychicus. I actually listened to a pastor that called him Tysicus. I'm not sure where he got the soft S sound. Uh, looking at the original Greek language, it would be Tukikos. It's Upsilon, Iota, and Omicron are the vowels. Uh, I'm calling him Tychicus. I want to at least keep the consonants the same. And in fact, there is one powerful preacher that I'll mention in just a little bit that also called him Tychicus. The reason I'm saying all this, some of you may have heard me say this before, when you come to names in Scripture, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, don't get bent out of shape by the pronunciation. Give it your best shot, say it with confidence, and move on and enjoy and have 
fellowship. So let's look at this man, Tychicus, who he is. Um, I mentioned just a bit ago that he actually appears five times in the New Testament. Now, if the number of references was to have some significance, this would make Tychicus one of Paul's closest compatriots after Titus and Timothy. So he is a man that first appears in Acts chapter 20. Turn for a moment back to Acts chapter 20. Uh, I'll read the first four verses. He appears, Tychicus appears for the first time in verse 4. But let's start at verse 1 of Acts 20. Paul is leaving Ephesus, the very same city to whom he wrote this letter that we're reading as we go from chapter 19 to chapter 20, and we pick it up in verse 1 with the words, And after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he determined to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. So what we see there is Paul, or actually, excuse me, Luke is listing the people that were with Paul as he's leaving Ephesus after an uproar, and they're with him. And you see there that Luke groups the people that are with Paul kind of geographically, with the exception of Timothy, the idea being there that the people would know who Timothy is. What's interesting is uh, he brackets Tychicus with Trophimus and Caesar of Asia. Later on in Acts 21 verse 29, we are told that Trophimus was an Ephesian. So the idea is it's very possible, if not even likely, that Tychicus also was from Ephesus and that Tychicus was saved by the Apostle Paul's ministry in Ephesus. But the one thing we do know is at this point of time when there was an uproar in Ephesus, Tychicus is there with Paul and he's accompanying him as his return from Greece through Macedonia and then across into Asia Minor and eventually, as you would read forward, onto Jerusalem. Now, one thing I will say here, beloved, you could, if you want a double blessing on these two verses, you could go back to our website and go to the year 2015 and look up Scott Mom's sermon on Ephesians 6, 21 and 22 on Tychicus. I told Scott I was working out at EOS this week and I was listening to his sermon and uh, when I was groaning and stuff it wasn't because of the the things he was saying it was during the workout but I was I was blessed by that but and I, I was listening to Scott's sermon and I thought hey you know maybe I could take the week off and just come up here and hit play but I didn't think that was a good idea so uh, we're going forward and by the way um, Scott also pronounced him Tychicus so what that's worth and one other thing too is if you're new here to Santan and you haven't heard Scott preach I would also again commend you to go to the website and look up some of his sermons. And we'll make a correction of that. He certainly needs to come and preach here in the building. But back on task, looking at Tychicus. Tychicus, again, is a man marked by fidelity. And what you see there in verse 21, back in Acts chapter 6, is Paul describes him as the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. A beloved brother. 
This is a phrase that Paul uses only twice, once here for, excuse me, three times, once here for Tychicus, and then for two other people, a man named Onesimus and a man named Philemon. He calls Onesimus a beloved brother in Colossians 4.9, and then the man Philemon, who bears the name of the letter that Paul wrote to, the letter Philemon, is also called a beloved brother. Uh, Paul also, for example, calls Timothy his beloved and faithful child. Because of his age, he says child, but there's this family love and connection that comes out there as well. Tychicus is a faithful minister. Uh, this is a phrase that, got, that Paul only uses twice, once here of Tychicus and then of another man named Epaphras in Colossians 1, 7. And Epaphras is another person that was also very likely saved by God through Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and Epaphras is the one that is very likely and probable the founding pastor of the church in Colossae. And then we see Tychicus being a beloved brother and a faithful minister. If we go to the companion letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, in Colossians 4, verse 7, and Colossians 4, 7, and 8 is almost verbatim the same words that we see here in Ephesians 6, 21 and 22, because Paul wrote both of those letters at the same time in the same setting in his Roman imprisonment. But in Colossians 4, 7, there's one additional element there about Tychicus that Paul adds. He, Colossians 4, 7, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant, and fellow bondservant, in the Lord, fellow slave in the Lord will bring you the information. So, beloved, the point is Tychicus is a brother. He's a minister. He's a slave. He's an Adelphos, a diakonos, a doulos. And he is all these things because, as Paul tells us back here in Ephesians 6, 21, and even as we just read in Colossians 4, 7, all of that is predicated on him being in the Lord. He's a believer, and he is in union with Christ. He's part of the family of God. He's part of the temple that Christ is building. And this union with Christ is something that is, saturates all of Paul's writings, but especially in the letter to the Ephesians. Paul cites this union with Christ, being in the Lord, being in Christ, more frequently than he does in all his other writings. 36 times in the 155 verses of Ephesians, we see Paul citing directly our union with Christ, or an individual person like Tychicus, union with Christ. This is the 36th and final appearance of this beautiful truth that we see in this letter because Paul wants us to understand we have new life in Christ. We have a new family in Christ. We're part of the new one reconciled humanity, one body in Christ, one, com one community in Christ. Biblical unity and biblical solidarity. And beloved, Tychicus is a powerful living example of all the doctrine, all the exhortation, all the deep truths and doctrines of grace that Paul brings out, especially in the first three chapters. All the powerful and penetrating demands of God upon us and exhortations to us of what we are to do with the riches we enjoy in Christ, especially in the latter three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6. Tychicus is a living example of this. He is doctrine and exhortation in working clothes. He is the doctrines of grace elaborated by Paul 
personified, as an example for us, imperfectly but beautifully by the work of God done in his life. He is a faithful man characterized by fidelity. And one of the ways that we see when we look elsewhere with Tychicus that his fidelity is demonstrated is it's demonstrated by his courage. Uh, Daryl B. Harrison, I came across another wonderful statement from him about the current environment of fear that is sweeping across the world and even polluting the Christian church. Daryl Harrison said this, many people today are afraid to live because they're afraid to die. And it's because they're afraid to live because they're afraid to die that they want others to be afraid along with them. Fear doesn't like to be alone. It needs company in order to thrive. And Pastor Harrison finishes, he says, don't let fear thrive. And beloved, to see this at work in Tychicus, turn again back to Acts, this time to the end of Acts chapter 19. I read you before Tychicus being with Paul when he's first introduced, but let's remind ourselves the backdrop of what was taking place in Ephesus just prior to the verses we read in the first four verses of chapter uh, 20. What's the uproar that Luke talks about at the beginning of chapter 20? We'll pick it up in Acts 19, verse 24. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship should even be dethroned from her magnificence. Pause there for a second. By way of reminder, there was the temple of Artemis, the temple of Diana, that was in this mighty city of Ephesus. It was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. So what's taking place here is the gospel that God is bringing to Ephesus through the ministry of Paul and his fellow bond slaves was causing an uproar and was upsetting the apple cart for the people that were profiting off of this pagan worship. We'll pick it up in verse 28. And when they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples wouldn't let him. And also some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to even venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, And the majority didn't know for what cause they'd come together. And some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander since the Jews had put him forward. And having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. And finally, verse 34, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 
Uh, beloved, the point here is this, is that there is this magnificent uproar. Paul had been warned not to go in there, but Tychicus was there with him. Tychicus came out of this uproar with the Apostle Paul. He was with the Apostle Paul at the end of his third missionary journey. And his very willingness, the very willingness of Tychicus to go with Paul demonstrates his courage and demonstrates his fidelity. Because, again, Paul was repeatedly warned, even as the one example that we just read, Tychicus surely heard those warnings, but he wasn't thwarted by it. Because he was a man of fidelity, he stayed with him. He was likely with him when Paul survived the plot by the Jewish leaders to murder him. He was very likely, if not probably, somewhere with Paul or around Paul when Paul survived the trials before Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. And even when Paul survived the perilous voyage to Rome. But we know for certainty that Tychicus was with Paul when Paul was in his Roman imprisonment because he was a faithful, trustworthy man and he loved the apostle Paul. You know, it's said that time is a great healer. And very often, or at least sometimes it is, time is also a great revealer. And Tychicus is a time-tested man. The metal of his character, the metal of his fidelity was tested by time to be revealed to be true. Time and truth go hand in hand. That was one of my beloved's favorite sayings. And when Paul describes his experience as a minister, when Paul lists his credentials as a true apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you can listen as I read or you can turn over if you want. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 11, verses 22 to 27. And the situation here is there were these people that were arising in the Corinthian church and they were professing to be not just Christians, but they were saying they were apostles. In fact, they call themselves super apostles. And so what Paul does is he draws a contrast. Paul detested having to defend his apostleship. But when the gospel was at stake, he would do it. And look at what he says in verse 22. First, he's talking about these false super apostles. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then he says, parenthetically with divine sarcasm I speak as if insane I more so and then now he begins to list his credentials as a true apostles he says in far more labors in far more imprisonments beaten times without number often in, often in danger of death five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes Three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Beloved, that is how the Apostle Paul describes his experience as a minister. And beloved, Tychicus was right there with him through many and most of those. Tychicus is not a one-hit wonder. He was there with Paul at the beginning, coming out of the uproar at Ephesus, and he'll be with Paul all the way to the very end. In fact, at the very end of Paul's life, a couple 
Years later, after this writing here, when Paul is in his second Roman imprisonment in a dark, cold dungeon awaiting execution, Tychicus, faithful Tychicus, Tychicus, a man of fidelity, is there with him. Beloved, that is something we should aspire to. We want to follow Christ, and God blesses us with the communion of the saints here in the body of the one and others of Scripture, and we can have communion with saints that have gone by with a man such as Tychicus for fidelity, faithfulness, perseverance, and courage, honor, loyalty. This is what, these are marks that describe what a true believer is like. So, fidelity. Tychicus is also a man marked by humility. Now, before we describe the humility, we need to understand a little more of this backdrop here. This is a letter that Paul wrote in the early parts of the Roman Empire, a couple decades, a few decades, and even a century before Paul wrote this letter. The message system, the mail system, if you will, of the Roman Empire was a letter would be a papyri letter would be written and it would be sent by a relay of different messengers and the more hands are stirring the pot as you can imagine that would confound the issue they would get lost or they would get corrupted then an emperor named Caesar Augustus and we read Caesar Augustus name in Luke chapter 2 verse 1 at the birth of Christ he was an evil emperor he wanted to be worshiped as a god but What he meant as evil, God used for good. And Caesar Augustus changed the mail system from this series of relay for messengers to a letter being given to a single messenger that would take it all the way and personally deliver it to the recipient. So what's amazing is God used even the wicked Roman Empire to put in place, for example, the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, the road system in the empire, and even this transfer of the mail system as a providential measure to bring the gospel, to bring the books of the Bible that we read and that we study and that we preach through. And I say this because Tychicus, this man in the shadows, carried this letter to the church in Ephesus. He carried this letter and also the companion letter to the Colossians and also the personal letter that Paul wrote to a man named Philemon. Tychicus was the letter bearer. And when we look at Colossians, we understand Colossians 4 verse 9 that it wasn't just Tychicus, but also Onesimus, who was a runaway slave that went into Rome and somehow at the very same time that Tychicus was there as a believer ministering to Paul in his first Roman imprisonment, somehow Onesimus, this runaway slave, when a slave would run away from his master, they would usually catch up with bands of robbers and they would more often than not go to a major city to be able to be lost in the surging crowds. And God used that to put life where there was no life before, save this runaway slave Onesimus, and then send Onesimus back to his master Philemon. And Paul wrote a letter to Philemon. So, again, Tychicus is the one that was carrying this letter that we're studying and the letter to the Colossians and to Philemon as well. That's a demonstration of his fidelity, and that's a demonstration of even his humility. And we see here back in verse 21, Ephesians 6, we see part of the purpose that Paul is commending Tychicus and sending him. He says, and so that, purpose statement, you also may know about my circumstances how I am doing. 
And when he says, and so that, that little connector, and, that connects us back to verses 18 through 20. When Paul there wrote his great charge towards prayer of an overarching, all-encompassing command from God through Paul to pray in all kinds of prayer and pray at all times and with all perseverance for all saints in verse 18. And then in verses 19 and 20, Paul, the mighty apostle, asks for a personal prayer request. And what's beautiful here is after the apostle Paul asked for the Ephesian church to pray for him, Paul, in the economy of God, being the main guy, the tip of the spear, El Jefe, now he's commending the right-hand man, Tychicus, to the people. And he says, so that you also, you Ephesians also, along with the Colossians and other believers as well, may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. And then in verse 22 at the beginning, he says, and I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, so that you may know about Paul and about Tychicus. And Four times in these two verses, Paul uses different words to let the Ephesians know that he knows that they have a tremendous concern for him. And Paul cares that they care. He says, so that you may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. And he, Tychicus, will make everything known to you so that you may know about us. Beloved. God made bees to live in a colony. A lone bee, a solitary bee, will soon be a dead bee. Beloved, in the same way, God made you. If you're a new creature, if you are forgiven of your sins by Jesus Christ, by trusting in Christ alone, by faith alone, he did not create you a new creature to be a lone Christian. He created you to be part, you are part of the universal family of God, and he created you to be part of a local body, to be a blessing to the body, and to be blessed with one of the most beautiful gifts that God gives to the individual Christian, namely the local church. And beloved, Paul entrusts Tychicus to carry these letters and also to care for, watch over, shepherd, and protect Onesimus. As a runaway slave, Onesimus is putting his very life at risk by going back, by voluntarily returning to his master from whom he ran away from. And discipleship, fellowship, is always a bi-directional dynamic. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But clearly in this case, Tychicus is a more, more, more excuse me, mature, godly, well-seasoned believer. So I'm sure that Tychicus was certainly blessed by Onesimus, but that's even part of Paul entrusting to Tychicus, not just the letter, but the care for this new believer, Onesimus, as he is going on this difficult journey to present himself to the one to whom he defrauded. Beloved, in the context of Tychicus being marked by humility, he models, Tychicus models a servant's heart. He's willing to play second fiddle, he doesn't need to have his name in the headlines. And he has an ultimate understanding that even as he does what Paul asks him to do for the glory of God, that he's ultimately serving God. And Tychicus isn't somebody in the eyes of the world, but he is somebody in the eyes of God. And because he's somebody in the eyes of God, he's somebody in the eyes of Paul. And that is demonstrated, fleshed out, worked out beautifully 
through all the records we read of what Tychicus is about and what he does. He's a little-known and unsung hero. Uh, Scott Mom's sermon title, by the way, is A Well-Known Unknown. My sermon title, if you're interested, is Tychicus, A Mighty Figure Hidden in the Shadows. Beloved, for us, for you and me, the vast, vast majority of us, and even the people we know, won't even be a footnote in history. But the good of the world is dependent and carried upon by non-historic acts. The march of the gospel rests on people, on believers by men and women of God who live faithfully hidden lives. And even in many cases will reside in unvisited tombs. Beloved, this is Tychicus, a man of fidelity, a man of humility. And third and finally, he is a man of integrity. He is marked by integrity. And we know that a big part of the purpose of the Apostle Paul and the reason why he sent Tychicus was to inform the Ephesians about the personal details of his life. But he was also sent to encourage them. Look at what it says at the end of verse 22. And so that he may comfort your hearts. Literally, that he he may come alongside you, that he may comfort you, encourage you, strengthen you, exhort you. Beloved, this coming alongside of, this parakaleo, this encouraging, this comfort, this is one of Paul's greatest passions in all of his letters and his writing. And what he's doing here is Paul is in prison. He is in prison. He's imprisoned. And even at this very same time, Paul has concern about the encouragement of others, of the Ephesian believers. Because when we look at God's good work in the life of Paul, we see that the further Paul ascends up in the purpose of God, the lower he descends down in his humility and service of others. And I love this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, to love, and this is in the context of a preacher, of a pastor, The doctor said, to love to preach is one thing. It's an entirely different thing to love the ones to whom you preach. Beloved, both are necessary. Both are essential. So what we see here is that Tychicus is in God's purpose through Paul, the courier of the letter and the comforter. He spreads the word and he encourages the saints. Uh, the, The message is Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't be discouraged in the battle. Be filled with courage to face any situation. And be a man of integrity. Be a woman of integrity. And beloved, when we think of integrity, we understand that true integrity is something born out and spawned over time. It takes years to develop. But it can be lost in an instant. And the beautiful thing again of Tychicus is that he is a time-tested man, a trustworthy man, a man of integrity. He, he, for example, earlier, all the way back when we were first introduced to him, towards the end of Paul's third missionary journey, Tychicus was part of the group that carried a collection of money from Galatia and Achaia to needy believers in Jerusalem. So Tychicus, in the context of Ephesians, is the courier, he's the comforter, he's the encourager, And he's the expositor, the expositor of the word of God. What's the sine qua non qualification of an elder that is separate than a qualification of a deacon? The 
qualifications of the leadership God gives the church are the same with the essential requirement that an elder must be apt to teach and able to reprove and to reprove and rebuke in sound doctrine. Now, that's not saying that deacons can't or aren't apt to teach. Of the wonderful, eminently deacon-qualified deacons that we we're blessed with at Santan Bible Church, the vast majority of them are extremely capable and apt to teach, as many of you know. But that is an absolute requirement for an elder. Now, the reason why I say that is another way in which we see Tychicus being used as a demonstration of his character is Tychicus is sent by Paul as a replacement pastor for both Titus and Timothy. After Paul's first Roman imprisonment, when he was ministering in Macedonia, Paul asked for Titus to join him in Nicopolis, and he mentioned that he wanted to send Tychicus, or another guy named Artemis, to Crete to replace Titus. So the fourth mention of Tychicus is in Titus 3, verse 12, where the Apostle Paul says, When I send Artemis, or Tychicus, to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. So Paul wanted Titus to come to him, and Tychicus was one of the men that Paul would send as Titus' replacement. You may remember when Paul wrote to Titus, he was there in Crete in a situation where they're planning new churches, and he told Titus to appoint elders in every church. So it's a high demand and responsibility that Paul is sending Tychicus as a pastor. And then at the very end of the Apostle Paul's life, and the fifth and last appearance of Tychicus, is when he appears with Paul in his second Roman imprisonment. And Paul, as he's awaiting execution, wants to see his beloved Timothy one last time. And he asks for Timothy to come to him, and Paul sends Tychicus, a mighty figure hidden in the shadows of history, to Ephesus, where Timothy was the young pastor over the church. 2 Timothy 4.12, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So beloved, understanding all of this, when we see that an elder, a pastor, is to be apt to teach, able to reprove and rebuke in sound doctrine, putting in modern vernacular, a pastor must be a sound expositor of the word of God. When we look at what Paul said to the Ephesian believers at the end of verse 21, he will make everything known to you, certainly the personal detail. But we put together that this man, Tychicus, is a qualified pastor. That means he's an expositor. What that means is Tychicus was most probably the first person ever to exposit the book of Ephesians. So as I've been, as I've been blessed immensely with the undeserved favor to preach through the book of Ephesus, when Scott Mom preached his message in 2015 when our other men in the Bible Hour, in the home groups, all the rest, teach from Ephesians. That's continuing tradition from the first expositor of the book of Ephesians, namely Tychicus. Beloved, the battle goes to the one who doesn't give up. Run through the gate. That's what he, run through the tape. That's, in essence, what Paul told Timothy that is what is exemplified and demonstrated by Tychicus, a man of fidelity, a man of humility, and a man of integrity. I'm going to close by reading one of my favorite poems. Uh, the poem's title is, Give Me a Man of God, One Man. Now, what's interesting, up until this week, whenever I was blessed to read through this poem, I've always thought 
of mighty figures from history like Paul or John Chrysostom, Augustine, uh, Luther, Calvin, Edward Spurgeon, men who history remembers, the main guy, the tip of the spear, the El Jefes of the different centuries. But beloved, this week, I thought of a man hidden in the shadows of history of Tychicus, a right-hand man. And this is how the poem goes. Give me a man of God, one man, whose faith is master of his mind, and I will right all wrongs and bless the name of all mankind. Give me a man of God, one man, whose tongue is touched with heaven's fire, and I will flame the darkest hearts with high resolve and clean desire. Give me a man of God, one man, one mighty prophet of the Lord, and I will give you peace on earth, bought with prayer and not a sword. Give me a man of God, one man, true to the vision that he sees, and I will build your broken shrines and bring the nations to their knees. Beloved, that is the man Tychicus. May that be you. May that be me. Please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we praise you and thank you. Uh, Lord Jesus, even as we are at this season uh, reminded and focused on the wonder of your entrance to the world and the incarnation, God with us, 100% God, you have always been God, you are always God, you always will be God, and now by virtue of your birth, you are and always will be also 100% man, the wonder of wonders, and all of this to fulfill your eternal plan of redemption, of the love gift of a redeemed humanity from God the Father to God the Son, and that we are swept up in that for your glory, for our eternal joy. Lord, help us to be obedient to this. Help us to be men and women of fidelity, humility, and integrity in all that we do. When we stumble, we praise you and thank you that we're not hurled headlong, Lord God, because you hold on to our hand. You pick us up, dust us off, figuratively speaking, and we march forward. It is for your glory and for your honor, Lord Jesus, that we pray and we leave here today. Amen.